Okay, let's turn our Bibles to 2 Timothy, Paul's second letter to young Timothy and the final letter that Paul wrote in this um, last day of his life there. He's in his final hours and days and weeks in prison there in Rome under the persecution of Nero, and we find ourselves this evening in 2 Timothy chapter 2. And we're going to examine verses 3 through 7 tonight. Um, If you were here with us last week, uh, which many of us were elsewhere last week just due to Mother's Day and many other things, we looked and examined verses 1 and 2, and such common verses but such important verses for us to grasp as a ministry. Uh, This is really, verses 1 and 2 are really foundational uh, principles for us to set in place, for us to have our expectation of what it is that we're to be about here at Grace Church. Paul calls upon Timothy, he encourages him, he calls him my child in verse 1, and he encourages Timothy to be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. That's a great uh, verb use, that's a passive idea. Be strengthened by grace. That's not an effort that Timothy can make, it's not that he can grind up strength It's not that he can muster up more and more and more, but he is to be strengthened by an outside source. And that outside source is the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And so Timothy is to lean upon the gospel, the grace that is provided through Christ, and that is to be the strengthening element for this stand that Timothy must take for the gospel. And you remember this if you've been with us or if you've read these letters before. Paul is calling on Timothy throughout this letter. He's going to do it again this evening to share in suffering to stand up and be counted as one of those who follow Christ. And not just follow Christ, but one of those who has been called out to lead and to minister for Christ to God's people. And so Timothy is facing a real uh, life decision, a break point for him. Nero is persecuting all who would claim to be believers. He has blamed the burning of Rome on the Christians They are being tossed into prison left and right. Paul is in prison. He'll never get out. He'll be beheaded soon. And Timothy, his closest associate, his protege, his disciple, if you will, his son in the faith, here is Timothy battling those false teachers that were in Ephesus, the church where Paul had sent him to minister, and he is in danger of falling prey to the pressure to move away from the gospel to adjust the gospel to make it more palatable, more moldable to the culture in which he lived. And we don't even really grasp, I don't think, I know I don't, and I trust you're in the same boat I am, because of our situation in America, this is hard for us to even grasp. We're tempted to mold the gospel, to uh, conform it to what we think people want to hear, and we're not facing any substantial persecution. Uh, When someone gives us a look like, you're not one of those people, are you? We instantly begin to conform the message to think about how I can soft-tail this. And that is our temptation immediately. Think of Timothy here in the face of death, imprisonment, in dungeons, um, the worst conditions, the greatest fears, and Paul is calling on him to be strong. How much more than for us without this immediate danger before us? Unless God in his providence changes our circumstances here in our country, here in freedom that we enjoy in the United States, how much more should we be strengthened, should we be strong, should we be resolute in the grace that is in Christ Jesus? 
that leads then not just to strengthening through the gospel, but then to ministry and to a process of ministry that flows directly from the gospel. In verse 2 he says, "...and what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, that is the gospel message." Timothy now is to take that and entrust that, to deposit that into the account of faithful men who will be able, here's their mark, they're capable of teaching others this same message also. Okay, so the message of the gospel is both the strengthening element and it is to be entrusted to faithful men. It is a ministry tool that Timothy is to wield. It is the ministry tool that he is to wield there at the church at Ephesus. The message doesn't change. It doesn't adjust. It's just to be taken as it was given from the apostles and passed on and then passed on unchanged, passed on unchanged, and continuing on even to today. This is the testimony of the church. All that brings us then to verses 3 through 7, which is where we'll study this evening. And we'll just take a brief few moments to look at these verses and to try to glean from them uh, the reality of what Paul is trying to drive home to Timothy. I don't know about you, but I love illustrations, and many of you love illustrations as well. You love word pictures. If you've had a teacher who used a display in front of you, he brought up a prop and used a prop to teach a lesson, you probably haven't forgotten that lesson, or at least you didn't forget what he did with the prop, right? We love illustrations. We love word pictures. We love when somebody is trying to explain something to us and they notice that we are not getting it. Our brow is furrowed. We're looking at them like, I don't understand. And they say to us, well, it's like, and they start into something to help us get a picture of what we're talking about. We love that. And that's exactly what Paul does in verses 3 through 7. He, he gives illustrations. He gives word pictures. He brings a visual aid to this instruction in the letter. He's called on Timothy repeatedly to stand up, to be courageous, to be faithful as a minister of the gospel. And now he's going to go ahead and use some visual aids that Timothy would would readily understand. And he's going to use them as illustration tools for the minister. And then he's going to close that out in verse 7 by promising that the Lord would give understanding, that the Lord would help Timothy apply these word pictures, these illustrations, these visual aids, to his own ministry life. Okay? So this is not difficult. We're just going to walk right through these. You can find these right on the surface. This is not seminary uh, workload. This is just right there. Let's just study these verses one by one, and let's look at the illustrations that the Lord uses uh, through the Apostle Paul to encourage Timothy with a visual aid of what he is to be about in his ministry and really what we're to be about. This is about us as much as it was about Timothy. We are the indirect recipients of this instruction. Now, there's only one command that offsets the rest of these illustrations, and that one command comes in verse 3, and it's the exact same command that we found over in chapter 1 and verse 8. You remember where Paul came out so boldly and said, Don't be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me as prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. He comes back to that same command shameless sharing of the gospel, the suffering that would come. And he says in verse 3, this is his command, share in suffering, Timothy. Take up your part. Stick your shoulder under this and start walking with me. Grab your end and hold it up. Share in the suffering. 
The sharing and suffering is really a synonymous phrase with being a faithful minister in Paul's paradigm. Okay? So when Paul says share and suffering, that is directly synonymous with be a good minister. Say, what is faithful ministry? What is successful ministry in Paul's eyes? In Paul's eyes, in this particular setting, sharing in suffering and not being ashamed of the gospel or of those suffering for the gospel was successful ministry. It is faithful ministry. It is a stamp that would go on Timothy as being faithful to what God had called him to be. He doesn't even get the words out of his mouth before he starts into a word picture and he describes him sharing the suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. Officially, we have entered the Lord's army, okay, in this passage. Paul will use soldier language all the way through his letters. Many of you have memorized or are very familiar with the armor of the Christian life in Ephesians chapter 6. And these are very military terms. He constantly comes back to this idea of a soldier, and he uses it here in the sharing and suffering. Suffering was a common part of war and battle, and he says share and suffering as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Just picture yourself, Timothy, like you're a good soldier, you're a soldier in the army of Christ, and just bear up. We're on the front lines, get up here, put your weapon on the table, let's get to work, let's share in what is before us. He gets that little analogy out of his system, and it just launches Paul into three illustrations to help Timothy see what it is to share in suffering, what it is to be a successful minister of the gospel. And it, I trust, will help us. These are word pictures that we get just as well as Timothy would have. So let's read verses 4 through 7. Paul says, No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. Verse 5, an athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. Verse 6, it is the hard-working farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. And then verse 7, think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Now the three illustrations that Paul uses, the three visual aids that he brings to the table, they are three individuals. They are people. They are tasks. They are activities. What are the three illustrations? Number one, soldier. Number two, athlete. And number three, farmer. We're going to do the first two, and then we're going to let Dave take over, and he's going to teach the third one, okay? Or Jeff, or any number of other people that are in there. Daniel's back there in there. We've got a number of guys that can help us get the word picture of farmer in such a way as we can understand it a little better. Number one, then, a good soldier is the first illustration, the first visual aid that Paul uses to illustrate, to show what it is to be a faithful minister is a good soldier. And that good soldier is the one who follows orders. That is the point of the illustration. A good soldier follows orders. A soldier's singular focus is to follow the orders of his superior. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. He has a superior officer who has enlisted him to duty, and it is his desire, it is his goal to make that superior officer happy. And the way he does that is by following orders from that superior officer. Now the result is a natural result, and it, we find it in verse 4. 
no soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits. How many of you men here this evening are veterans of our military, have served our country? I would assume that your testimony would be similar to even the Roman testimony that Paul uses here. While you were enlisted in the military and while you were up in active duty, you did not have a great opportunity to entangle yourself with civilian pursuits. You had one singular focus, and that was your operation, your commitment to your military position. Pastor John MacArthur says this, A soldier in active service does not have a 9-to-5 job, or even a long 60-to-70 hour work week. He is a soldier 24 hours a day, every day of the year. His body, his health, his skills, his time, all that he is, belong to the military in which he serves. Even when he is on leave, he is subject to recall at any time, without notice and for any reason. And whenever ordered into dangerous duty, he is expected to put his very life on the line without question or hesitation. Consequently, he is separated from his normal environment so that he will not entangle himself in the affairs of everyday life. Now, how does that translate over for us? And that is the picture that Paul presents to us. Here's visual aid number one, the soldier. And the soldier is the one who is not entangled with civilian pursuits. He is singular in his focus. He's got one goal, and that is to please his superior officer. Therefore, he removes from himself every distraction that would hinder him from being effective in his duty. The good minister, the faithful minister, the faithful ministry that will stand and share in suffering is the ministry that has so singular a focus on pleasing its master, on its pleasing its superior officer, if you will, God himself, Christ as head of the church, that it will remove from itself, remove from the minister's life any distraction that would cause him to be entangled in any pursuit besides that to which he has been called. A faithful minister, then, is like a good soldier. He's singular in his goal of pleasing his superior and thus disciplines his life to accomplish that one supreme goal. So Paul says, share in suffering, Timothy. Be a part of this. Be faithful be a successful minister, Timothy. You want to know what that looks like? That looks like a soldier. A soldier who wants to do what he's supposed to do and therefore removes from himself every familiar comfort of everyday life for the sake of being faithful to his duty. I was thinking about this this week and I was reminded of some articles that I've read from John Piper that called us as Christians today evangelical American Christians, to consider whether or not we are truly living our lives as if we are wartime soldiers. Christian, Christianity and the Christian life in our culture is so easy that many of us, many of us have fallen into the trap of becoming peacetime soldiers. We haven't done drills in who knows how long. We haven't disciplined our lives. We're fat. We're out of shape. We couldn't run across the battlefield and lead a squadron of men if our life depended on it. And we certainly would not stand up under the pressures of combat if the Lord chose to place them on us. We're peacetime. We're soft. Many of us face this challenge. All of us face this challenge in our current climate. 
We don't have to battle. We're not facing Roman prison. We're not going to be beheaded tomorrow. At least I trust that will be the case for the gospel. Therefore, we find ourselves soft, undisciplined, and very much entangled in civilian pursuits. We're very familiar with civilian activities. We're very much a part of civilian life. That's a description of worldliness. We are so much more concerned with the pleasures of our own situation, that is, our civil situation, the world around us, that we have departed, many of us, many times, have departed from our singular focus as a soldier in the army of Christ with one aim, one aim, and that is to please our superior, to bring glory to his name, to show the worth and the value of his cause. That's the first illustration. And we need to ask ourselves, how are we doing as soldiers? As those who have been entrusted with the message of the gospel, how is this church standing as a a grouping of soldiers? And how is the leadership, those who are ministering the message of the gospel, how are we preparing? How are we setting our lives on a course that would fit this word picture? That would fit this visual aid? Would we match up with this description, not entangled in civilian pursuits because our aim is to please the one who enlisted him. Okay, number two, second illustration we find in verse five, an athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. So we have a good soldier following orders. Number two, we have a good athlete keeping regulations, a good athlete playing by the rules. Everybody loves the athlete who plays by the rules. A good athlete. The athlete's singular focus in this visual aid is to win the crown. In verse 5, Paul says the athlete is not crowned unless that is his goal, and unless he does this particular activity, he's not getting what he's there for. No athlete that's worth his salt is out there to have a good time. Uh, we're not all winners because we had fun. Those are little league lies. Okay? We are all winners because we won. And if we didn't, then we are losers. We didn't win. I come from a coach's family, and I have coached myself. That is the athlete who is out there striving for the crown. And the crown here is a a great word picture. In the Greek games, which you all know that they were very much into athletics, this was something that was very much a part of their culture, not unlike ours. They championed athletes. Athletic prowess was seen as a mark of greatness, their athletes would run not to have a trophy of gold, not to get a lot of money, not like today's professional athletes, they get diamond-studded rings that show the year they won their highest prize. They ran to get a laurel wreath, a green leaf that was wrapped around their head, and a green leaf that had been cut off from its sap supply, which meant that it was only a green leaf wreath for maybe a week. Maybe they, the athletes ran home and dumped it in a bowl of water to try to keep it alive a little longer. This is what the crown is that Paul is talking about here. An athlete is not crowned with that wreath, that symbol of success, that show that they had in fact reached the pinnacle of their particular competition. 
that will not be accomplished. That singular aim will not be accomplished unless they pay close attention to the rules of their athletic event. So, the athlete, as a visual aid, is one who has a singular focus on a crown, and therefore the result is he gives himself to playing in direct line with what the rules say his competition should be. He doesn't make up rules. He doesn't move outside the lines. He doesn't cheat. He doesn't try to take shortcuts. He doesn't try to bend the rules. He goes directly for what he knows must be the case if he is to be rewarded in the end. Paul says to Timothy, share in the suffering as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. That soldier is one who is focused, therefore he's not entangled in civilian life. The athlete is just another illustration because the athlete desires to be crowned. He will not just breach the rules and go on his own way. He is subject to another authority. That's the basis for his reward. Therefore, he lives under an authority. A good athlete, in an athletic sense, is a legalist. A successful athlete is one who knows his rule book. Unfortunately, in our country, in recent days, this has not been the testimony of our athletic crowd. They have done anything but this, and they are being stripped left and right of their awards and their honor. Many of the athletes that have competed both Olympically and also in our professional athletic realm have lost their rewards in a temporal sense because of performance-enhancing drugs. They were under a standard, they were under regulations, and they chose to depart from them. Therefore, what did they sacrifice? They sacrificed their crown, if you will, their reward. And Paul uses that visual aid. First, we've got the soldier over here in all his armor. He's dedicated to one task, and that is to bring honor and glory to the one who enlisted him. Therefore, he's not wrapped up in the worldly affairs. Second visual aid is this athlete not standing in his Greek uniform, because that would be embarrassing, but standing in something else. He's here. Why? Because he has one focus on winning the crown, on being rewarded for his effort, and he gives himself entirely under subjection to the rules of his sport. It's the picture. It's the second illustration. The faithful minister is a good athlete who gives himself to compete with purity for the sake of winning the prize. This isn't unfamiliar to Paul. In fact, at the end of our letter here, in, in chapter 4, he's going to come back to this very same illustration. He's going to use it of his own life. He says he's ready to be poured out in verse 6 of chapter 4 as a drink offering using Old Testament imagery. And the time of my departure has come. He knows his death is imminent. Verse 7, I have fought the good fight. There's the soldier. He was faithful. Paul says, I was a good soldier. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, or because of that, there is laid up for me the crown, not of leaves or not of a tree branch, but the crown of righteousness, that the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. I have finished the race, therefore I will receive the crown. Paul takes this word picture and he applies it to his own life in the grandest sense. He had been faithful, and he was calling on young Timothy to step up to the plate, to bear up, and to share in the suffering, and to be a faithful minister. And he's calling on us, 
indirectly those who shepherd and minister the gospel here to be faithful in the same way and upon you as individual ministers of the gospel in whatever sphere you have been given to step up and share in the suffering that will come as a result of being faithful to the message. How? Just like a soldier who's not entangled but singular, just like an athlete who lives by the rules for the sake of gaining the crown. He lives under the authority of another, and he does so with joy. Then we come to that third illustration in verse 6. It is the hard-working farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. So we have the good soldier following orders. We have the good athlete keeping regulations. And we have the good farmer tending crops. It is the hard-working farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. The farmer's singular focus is the production of a good crop for the sustenance of his family. The result is tireless effort that consumes his life as he toils to keep his fruit growing. The discipline and the effort of the farmer to care and nurture his crop results in a rich blessing of getting the first sweet bite of his fruit. This is the the third and final illustration, and it's the one that most of us have the most familiarity with, most of you, I should say. Soldiers, yes, we understand, particularly some of you men who were soldiers. Athletes, some of us have fleeting memories of what athletes are, what they look like and act like. But many of you have firsthand knowledge right now of what it is to be a hard-working farmer. So you have a third visual aid. Paul brings the visual aids to his letter. He says, here's the soldier and his description. Here's the athlete as another visual aid of what it is to be faithful. And third and final, here is a farmer. Here is a man who gives himself to growing a crop. And the result is the blessing of getting the first share of his crops, getting the reward of his crops. Paul is crystal clear with young Timothy. It will be discipline and focus in ministry life that will stand the test of suffering and bear the load that the gospel will bring. It's appropriate, Paul says, that that farmer be rewarded with the first share of his crops. This makes perfect sense. He has a singular focus of working his his fields until they produce fruit, and the result of his focus, his energy, his discipline, his work ethic is that he is rewarded for that with a crop. Soldier has one concern, that is pleasing the one who enlisted him. Therefore, he doesn't entangle himself with any other competing authority. The athlete, he's focused on the crown. Therefore, he submits himself under the rules of his authority for his competition without any distraction. And the farmer, he's focused on the produce that he is working so hard to to bring about. Therefore, he ignores all else and he works hard he toils he labors to the point of exhaustion for the sake of his crop all with an eye to enjoying the share that will come back the reward that will be returned for his labors are those helpful i hope they are i mean that's what they're there for they're there for us to go oh well that helps it's as if paul is is just hammering timothy with Step up to the plate, Timothy. Be bold. Be strong. Be courageous. 
And Timothy is getting more and more overwhelmed with this information as we get through chapter 1 and into chapter 2. And Paul just goes, here's what it's like, Timothy. Okay, let me just break this down for you. Here's what it looks like. It looks like a soldier. It looks like an athlete. It looks like a farmer, Timothy. Are you getting the picture? Do you get it? And to us, we understand the call for faithful ministry. I understand the burden that Paul lays on the minister in particular in this section. And it is so helpful for us and is so helpful for me to have word pictures that can stand as visual aids for us. I mean, we could put on the pastor's door sign, Adam, pastor slash soldier, athlete, farmer. Because that is to be the work. That's the work ethic. That's the focus. That's the vision that goes into a ministry that will be counted by God as successful, as faithful. And that's what we desire. This is what could go over the heading of our church, Grace Church of the Valley. A place where people are loved and God is glorified. Or some you know, cool slogan that is always used on a church uh, letterhead. Ours says Grace Church of the Valley. A bunch of soldiers, athletes, and farmers who are setting themselves to share in the suffering that will come for the gospel because they want the success to be a success that comes from God and not just in the eyes of men. Say, well, what's the conclusion? Well, in this passage, Paul gives us a conclusion with the last verse, in verse 7. Here he finishes up the paragraph, and with this unbelievably encouraging statement, think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. This is one of those verses... I keep saying this, that there are verses that I breeze over. I mean, I've said, I think I've said that way too much. There are way too many verses that I'm breezing over. But this is a verse that I have breezed past because of the next section and because of the previous section. And yet what we find in verse 7 is one of the most profound promises in your New Testament of the, of the Lord's work in, in working through his word in your life. A lot of what David read about or read in Psalm 119. This is to be an encouragement to Timothy. It's as if Paul assumes that Timothy is straining to apply this. He's straining to think about how this should be fleshed out in his life. What is this supposed to look like in Ephesus? What am I supposed to do with these elders, some of whom have turned from the gospel? How is this supposed to look? I want to be a good soldier. I want to be a good athlete. I want to be a good farmer as pictures of the faithful ministry. What is that going to look like? What does that mean to my specific life circumstance, my spiritual growth? Where am I in the process of becoming and remaining a faithful minister of the gospel? And Paul, in conclusion, promises Timothy, think. If you think on these things, that is, you think on the word, the Lord will give you understanding. What an awesome promise. First of all, we're called upon to think something that we don't generally like to do. We have to think. And not just think, but think on these things. Think on these words. Think over what I say, Paul says. Think over the Word of God. Meditate. Speak it back to yourself. Listen to it. Read it. Read it out loud. Read it to your family. Think, think, think. And the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Where to think and we're to think Bible, and we're to think Bible with confidence that God will give us understanding. And understanding is knowledge applied to life. Okay, that is understanding. Understanding is not just, I get it. Understanding is, I can live it. 
And that is a work that only the Lord can accomplish. Any individual can come at face value and tell us what the Bible says, but only the one that the Holy Spirit is at work in can actually understand it, that is, apply it, live it, in such a way as to bring honor to the author, the Spirit himself. Application is the work of the Holy Spirit. This is the understanding that is promised. So he gives these three visual aids. He brings these to the table along with the command, the call for Timothy to share in suffering, for him to live the gospel life and be strengthened by the gospel, to entrust the gospel, to deposit it to faithful men. All of this is brought back to verse 7, and he says, if you'll meditate on what I've said to you, Timothy, the Lord will, he will give you understanding in everything. Make it all clear. We are to give ourselves to the labor of interpreting, to unfolding, to dissecting the Word of God, to understanding it as a written document. And yet we do not approach it as a written document alone. It is a written document that was inspired by the Holy Spirit, God Himself. Therefore, we turn to God for the application of these words to our own lives. And we've got to turn to God even tonight for the application of these word pictures, these visual aids to the ministry of our church, to the ministry of our shepherds here, myself and David, and the ministry of each one of us as those who have been entrusted with the gospel. Okay? I hope that's helpful. I hope that's just as helpful as when your teacher said, next week we're going to watch a movie in class. You're just going, yes! I love to watch movies in class. They make everything so much more exciting. If Paul could have, this is exactly what he did. He included a quick time clip in his letter. He said, here are some word pictures. Here are some visual aids, Timothy, to help you understand. And I hope that they do so for you as well tonight.